Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Giants Among Men. Brian Demena solo today. No Scott. Uh, he is missing this week. We, we are we are missing him. Uh, I think I'll let him uh, chime in if he would like about his absence. Uh, you know, we all have lives. Lives get in the way, even of talking about Giants to no one. Um, so it's going to just be me. Um, and we have, a, you know, this is a big this is a big show. Because there was a happening uh, on Sunday, um, and there's a lot going on in sports. The Mets, uh, you know, ended limply, and we'll get into that later. The Knicks are, are upon us, and they've looked really good in the preseason, and that's all exciting. Um, but we will start with the New York Giants, who shocked the world, the NFL, America, society, the planet with a uh, impressive 27-22 win over the Green Bay Packers in London. And I would say this is probably the best Giants performance since probably the Super Bowl in 2011. I don't I can't think of a game where they won and they actually played well. You go, well, they made the playoffs in 2016, whatever that was, they went 11 and 5. That team stunk, okay? They couldn't move the ball on offense. They had a great defense, but there was nothing really that exciting about that team. We really didn't think that team was very good. And then the next year, they were absolutely awful. Caved in, McAdoo's fired, all that. So I'm, I'm, there really has not been a win that was actually impressive like this one was in a, maybe a decade. And I, you know, to date, the Giants came in, they're 3-1, and one. they've been this sort of nice story, Daniel Jones has been okay, Saquon's been amazing, the defense, you know, the seeming no-name defense um, has been really pretty solid, but you know, they played, they beat the Panthers who stink, and they seemingly stole one against the Titans and you know all of a sudden the Cowboys loss looks a little better because they hung in there and the Cowboys look like they're actually a pretty darn good team and all of that but it, you know you just weren't feeling like okay you know this it felt a little like the Giants were smoke and mirrors they've had an easy schedule you know they played the Bears who really aren't very good um, all of that but this was really different because for all the Packers' flaws this year, and you know, obviously they're having trouble with the receiving core and um, no Devonte Adams. Maybe this isn't quite, you know, the Packers' teams of old, but they've still been pretty darn good. And in that second half, the Giants just straight up took it to them. I mean, really, no other way to put it. Shut them out after halftime, and you know, dominated. The game outscored them 17 to 2 in the second half. The only two was the safety at the end where the Giants were just, um, you know, playing the clock game. But everything looked good. I mean, Daniel Jones, I thought this was probably the best performance, you know, since his rookie year. I thought he played really well against the Cowboys um, where his stats didn't really look so well. And I thought he's had good moments, you know, even though, again, his numbers have not been eye-popping this season. But he was really good in this game. Um, you know, in the second half, he made a lot of big throws. He's not working with amazing weapons. And he really, for the first time, looked actually comfortable back there, like in the pocket, making good throws. They seemed to trust him. You know, it was a very exciting performance for the Giants and you heard even the coach um, afterward really compliment going out of his way to compliment Daniel Jones 
um, which was which was nice. And the coach, you know, obviously, you know, it's funny because when the team doesn't have a lot of great talent, obviously everybody starts talking about coaching and football. You know, the one thing about football and coaching is that it can be hard to evaluate because the quarterback is so important. So, you know, it's hard to no, – no coach can look that great with bad quarterback play. Um, but on the other hand, there's definitely no doubt that in football, the coach matters probably more than any other sport. The coaching staff can really make a difference. And you're seeing that with this giant. So all the focus is kind of on – the coaching staff and what they're doing and Wink Martindale and Dable and and I think that's, you know, understandable and probably right. Um, they've been awesome. And Dable, you know, the way he was all pumped up after the game, like you just, it's hard not to be super excited about, you know, the coaching. And when you have player, you have Daniel Jones who you're not committed to and you're still building this thing. There's not a ton of talent on this roster. Like, there's not that much from a player perspective that you can sort of latch onto and be like, okay, this is how we're going to be good for the next decade. But to have the coaching staff in place where you feel like, okay, they know what they're doing. I think the GM has made a lot of moves that make you think like, okay, he knows what he's doing. All of a sudden, maybe the Giants know what they're doing. Um, And wouldn't that be spectacular um and again so i feel like for daniel jones you know this was a big step forward and look i don't know i don't, I don't there's nothing he's done nothing yet that makes you go okay Dan, they got to keep daniel jones but the more he makes it a discussion the more he makes it a question in their minds the better because as much as you'd love to get the number one pick and you can get C.J. Stroud, drafting quarterbacks is like the biggest crapshoot in sports. Like, it, it it works out so much less than uh, you would think. And in the top of the draft, in the first round, like, it goes bad all the time. You know, you've seen quarterbacks go one-two where neither of them are, end up good. Um, you've seen... Many times where the best quarterback ends up being a guy in the third round or the second round. And it's, it's really, really hard to evaluate, especially in college, because it's so hard to divorce them from the teams they play on and the talent level that they have around them and the coaches that they have around them. And it's so uneven. Um, and, you know, you look at a guy like Josh Allen, whose college stats were just terrible. And it looked like, how can you draft this guy that high? And then he has become the best one. Um, and so... You can do worse than your guys. So if Daniel Jones, you know, the Giants, if he can get into a place where they have to think about it, that's a good thing. And they might have to because, look, I don't know how many games the Giants are going to win. Maybe they go, you know, two and whatever the rest of the way and they finish, you know, six and 11 and they're a middling team and, and who knows. But if they win eight or nine games and he plays pretty well, you will have to think about it because you can do worse in the draft, especially if you're going to be drafting in like the 15th to 20th range where you can take a Kenny Pickett and there's, you know, no sure thing there. Um, and so many teams are in a race to like, it's like, well, I'll just try to get a new quarterback. But like you can be stuck in that playing that game forever because you draft the guy and then you got to give him a couple of years to see that make sure he's good. And then if he's not good, you got to draft another guy or you got to swing a trade. It's not easy, you know. There's 
It's very rare that you're sitting in a position like the Rams where you can go make a trade for like a Matthew Stafford and he puts you over the top. Like that move to be made is is very rare um, that that move gets made. And sometimes you make that move and it doesn't work out. Like what the Broncos are finding where they, they make the trade for Russell Wilson. They think they finally found the guy. They've got everything else seemingly around him. And out of nowhere, he can't play anymore. <laughs> um, you know, you, you get into the Browns, uh, draft Baker Mayfield, and he seems to turn them around. And it's like, oh, great, they finally, and then, nope, he's not good. And they got to go make a, a Hail Mary trade for Deshaun Watson. But that's not a trade that's available that often. So, you know, no one wants to get stuck in the seemingly in the Ryan Tannehill situation or in the Kirk Cousins realm. But you know what? Those aren't that bad. <laughs> Those are pretty both good teams that are in it, and they could do a lot worse. Like, you you can do a lot worse. Um, so I thought that was the first game where he really played well, and if he could build on that, um, you know, you could start to go, huh, and maybe you don't have to, you don't have to give him $200 million to keep him around. Maybe there's a a prove-it deal he's willing to play for, but maybe he is the Giants quarterback next year. I think that's the first time I've even entertained the idea um, was this game, and I think you have to look at the Giants a little differently after this game. Um, you know, I'm not, not wildly so. I don't think the Giants are a Super Bowl threat. You know, they're 4-1, and one, but they, they've outscored teams by 10 points. They've been in a lot of close games. Um, you, you know, they still are lacking... Um, high-end weapons but then again you look at the Giants and all of a sudden like they're gonna get some guys back Um, you know for all the Kadarius Tony you know hoopla and stuff on him like he's coming back this year and you're gonna get Wandale Robinson back and then Darius Slayton look like he still has a little juice left and Bellinger's coming on, and if Saquon stays healthy, all of a sudden the Giants could get better. And you look at the defense, you know, people have been talking about Kayvon Thibodeau because he doesn't have any sacks. Like, if you're not noticing Kayvon Thibodeau or you're not impressed with him two games into his rookie year, I'm shocked. Because to me, I feel like the Giants finally have a defensive player up front that you, like, you notice all game. Like, he's in there. He's making plays. So if he stays healthy, if Ojolari can get back healthy, if Leonard Williams comes back healthy, like all of a sudden the Giants have a path to getting better. Um, There's talk of the Giants trading for DJ Moore. Like they could be in a position to make a move uh, to get better, whether it's on defense or on offense. So again, not saying the Giants are contenders, but they are 4-1 and with a path to get better. And they still have a pretty easy schedule. So, you know, I think that win has to change your expectations and has to make you go like, okay, they're not just like, oh, 3-1 start off of a schedule and like whatever. Like, they're in this. They can, they can make the playoffs. Like, it's not... You know, they have a tough game against the Ravens. They play a Jaguars team that's been super uneven. They play a Seahawks team that I still think, you know, you're, you, you shouldn't be afraid of. They play the Texans. They play the Lions. Two with the Commanders who are bad. Colts, winnable game. A um, lot of winnable games left on the schedule. So it's 
it's definitely not out of the out of the question um, that the Giants sneak into the playoffs. And you know who would have who would have ever thought, and what that means for the future, um, you know, I don't know. Like, but it's super exciting, and I think they found the right coach, the right people leading the franchise, and at least there's like reason to keep watching Daniel Jones. And I think it's at least a conversation now um, where he has an opportunity to play himself on this team next year. Um, where once you didn't think it was there was really any path to that. Um, and now I really think you do. I think if he plays well, there will be conversations to be had um, about his future. Um, but, you know, the key obviously is going to be Saquon Barkley staying healthy. Um, you know, I don't want to get in. I don't think this like Saquon, what Saquon's doing this year, um, you know, transforms the running back value conversation and paying running backs and all that. And I'm mostly on the side with the people who say, you know, you don't want to give these huge contracts for running backs. The thing I will say about that, though, is I still think we're in a place where running the ball and playing defense always works in football. Just the nature of the game. You can always play that way if you want. If if you've built a good defense and you've got a good running back and you want to lean on that, and you're always going to be able to do that. The problem is that's not the most sustainable thing because the running backs are too vulnerable. They get hurt too often. They wear down too quickly. And so you can't build a franchise around that. Like you can't, you know, make that your goal. And that's really the thing. That's why these contracts, it's hard to give a running back four or five year contracts worth a lot of money and say like, this is the type of team we're going to be. Because you don't know what your offensive line is going to look like year to year. You don't know if these running backs are going to stay healthy. When they stop being healthy, it's quick and sudden and out of nowhere. So like obviously building your team around a passing game and around a quarterback is just a much more sustainable thing. They've set the NFL up you know, to protect the quarterbacks, these quarterbacks, a lot of them are playing for a very long time. You have freaking Tom Brady out there, 45 years old, still hucking it around. So like, that's the thing is just, it's more sustainable, but you can always play. If you find yourself as a coach in this situation where your best player is a running back and you've got a good defense, like you can do that. You look at what the Cowboys are doing. They have two good running backs. They have a great defense. Like they're leaning on that. They're with their backup quarterback. Who's been good enough. Um, like you can always win that way. Um, you know, so the, all the cliches about they got to run the ball and I know it gets frustrating for people because it's just like simple math where it's like you average eight yards a pass and you average four yards a run. So passing is better. Um, but I like it. I like the running game. I don't want it to go away. I think having a great, exciting running back is super fun. Saquon Barkley is as exciting a player as there is in the league. You know, I've been saying this for a few years that I do think there there should be some system in place in the NFL that like rewards running backs outside of the cap that that their value to the product of football is higher than maybe like the importance of having a really good one on your team. Um, and so teams don't want to pay the premium for them but the league needs them um Saquon Barkley is super exciting to watch like the Giants without him would be a much worse product 
Um, you know, you were watching Green Bay right now. They don't have the top end receivers. They have a great running back. Um, you know, he's really good, fun to watch. There's a lot of really good ones. Um, you know, it's not it's not a dead dead position, and they're worth a lot to the quality of what you watch out there um, on a week to week basis. And there should be some way to value that. Um, but that's sort of a topic for another day. Um, you know, it's just very, very, very exciting, um, to see the Giants where they are. Um, and you know, they got a Ravens game coming up, (coughs) excuse me, that, um, you know, is winnable. That's a team that doesn't play the kind of defense that would give the Giants the problems that some of the other teams do. Um, you know, the Giants are going to have to watch out for Lamar Jackson. I think Lamar Jackson is the type of player that could give this Giants team a lot of problems um, because it's not really just a drop-back offense. You obviously have to worry about his th- his running. Um, and, I, you know, I think it could cause a lot of problems for the Giants. I think the Ravens will score on us. Um, but we should be able to move the ball on their defense, and it's not the kind of smothering defense that should give us fits. Um, so, you know, we'll learn a lot. I mean, if the Giants won this game, you know, now you're talking in, in, a, in a totally different stratosphere. But, uh, I mean, I, there's at least the hope that, okay, maybe we're not just, like, a fun story. Like, the, the, the team could progress. You know, maybe Daniel Jones keeps playing better and better and better. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, that at least is, they have done everything they can to give you that. That the rest of the year... You, I don't think you anymore are like waiting for this thing to crater. Um, it's more like, okay, how good can this be this year? And what kind of a wave are we really going to ride here? But then, boy, going forward, we're in, we're in pretty good hands. Um, and you got to feel pretty good. So what a win. Best win I think the Giants have had in a very long time. Best performance that the team has had in a very long time. Most fun I've had watching them in a very long time. And the first time I felt like genuinely good about them in a very long time. Um, So before we'll start, we'll end with the Knicks today. I want to get on the Mets and I want to defend the Mets. I'm as disappointed as anybody that the Mets lost in the playoffs and that they lost the division and all of it. All right. And they gave up a 10 and a half game lead and all the rest. But the amount of whining and screaming and their disgrace and an embarrassment and this season was a waste and uh, uh, that is coming from every corner. The team won 101 games. They didn't collapse. They didn't blow a 10 and a half game lead. The other team caught them and beat them and played insane baseball to catch them. They never faltered. They never faltered. They won 101 games. They never went in the tank. They never, like, had a really long losing streak. They lost a really disappointing series in Atlanta, no question. I think Max Scherzer's oblique injury really hurt the team. Like, he wasn't quite himself down the stretch, and that really bit them both against Atlanta and in the playoffs. Um, DeGrom wasn't quite as dominant as he usually was, though he was still damn good even down the stretch. He pitched pretty well in Atlanta, not as well as you would have liked, but pretty well. He pitched well in the wild card series and won the game. They won the game he pitched. Um, they definitely were a bat short. 
You could use a little more offense. You know, the bottom of the lineup wasn't quite good enough. I don't need to see Daniel Vogel back ever again. I know it's fun and cute when fat guys are good at sports. I'm not, I'm not impressed with that. I don't like it. <laughs> Get in shape. All right, I'm sorry. You're a professional athlete. All you do is play sports. Get in shape. You would be a better hitter. I promise you. You're making a lot of money. Be in shape. Get in shape. I'm sure he works hard. I, I know. I'm sure he lifts a ton. He's strong as an ox. All of it. I don't know. I don't find it cute. Get in some shape. You would be faster. You're slow. You are tough to watch. <laughs> um, but to that said, this, this just like, and you know, it's the FAN crew and all those guys just like killing them. It's a three game series. Like, it's just totally random. We know this. We know it. Like, they got basically screwed, okay? They had to play the Padres in the wild card game. And the Phillies, who were not nearly as good a team as the Mets, got to play the Cardinals. And now they're playing. They're still playing, and the Mets are home, even though the Mets are a infinitely better team than the Phillies are. And, you know, that Padres series could have gone absolutely either way. You know, they got a guy pitched an absolute gem of a game against them in the third game. It happens, okay? And Bassett didn't pitch well. And I do think there's some... I, I, you know, I don't know that I would trust Bassett necessarily in a big game. He's, he has that kind of stuff that seems like more tailored to the regular season when velocity isn't quite as important. But in, in October, velocity usually seems to matter. Um, and guys who pitch like him a lot of times tend to struggle. Which doesn't mean he's not a good pitcher. It doesn't mean I don't want him on the team. It doesn't mean he didn't have a great season. He did. But, you know, in a big spot, he didn't come through. It doesn't mean he can't handle New York and go back to Oakland and what a disgrace and they're an embarrassment. They won 101 games. Guess what? They've got the ownership that we all wanted, even though he's basically a crook and a scumbag. (laughs) He's going to spend money. We know that. And they're going to be good next year. And they're probably going to make a bunch of moves this offseason to improve the team. And they have some really interesting... They have the best prospect in baseball sitting at catcher, which is a huge need. If he's ready to go, that could be a big plus. They're going to spend a lot of money this offseason to improve this team. They were really close. They're going to come back better. It was not a waste of a season. It was a joyous season. They had a great team. They had a great year. It It happens. Like, these guys, your children... You're grown adults. Like, my sports team didn't win. It happens, guys. It's, is it disappointing? Yes. Is it frustrating? Sure. Was I furious watching them? Yes. Is it make you want to throw up watching the Phillies keep going while we had to go home? Yes. Did I want that Dodger series badly? Yes. Of course. It's disappointing. We're grown adults. We're used to disappointment. Life is full of it. And I know that a lot of this is because some of the more prominent voices come from that that Knicks, Jets, Mets fan triumvirate where, like, I do genuinely not understand, like, how those people live with themselves or how they go day to day. I don't know, like, experiencing that level of just constant losing and, like, like being a diehard fan of all three of those teams. Like, I don't real. I will admit, I don't totally know what that is like. Um, Because I have at least had the Giants. Although, look, I've certainly felt it for the last 10 years of just all your teams being nothing. So I'm not totally new to it. 
But like literally having nothing, being like a grown man, 50 years old for per se, and like you just haven't had anything since like 1986. Like I get that. I get the frustration of that. Or if you're in like a 35-year-old man, like you've who roots for the Jets, Knicks, and Mets, like that's a lot of losing and disappointment and um, frustration. I get that's just boiling over. But they were not a disgrace. They lost. They lost a three-game series. They lost two of three. It happens. It happens in the regular season. It's an absolute crapshoot. We know this about baseball. There's a lot of randomness in the baseball postseason. It happens every single year. They won a hundred and one games. Like you could tell me if the Mets really folded and they finished ninety-five wins, and boy, oh boy, they were really bad in September. That wasn't the case wasn't the case like I get it they all they had to do was win one game in Atlanta and they couldn't do it and that's really frustrating and you know I get it but they were a really good team it happens now should we feel embarrassed about Buck Showalter um going to the ears checking the ears <laughs> I don't know I don't know it didn't feel good in the moment I'm going to say that. It didn't feel like, oh, I'm proud of my baseball team. He's doing the right thing here. But I will say this. This is like, it's very frustrating, the spin rate thing. Like, what do we make of this? Because, like, I don't know. I don't know what to do about it. Like, you see it's elevated. He's getting reports elevated. The guy's ears are shining. <laughs> you know, they are. And I, I guess there, that doesn't feel like there's spin rate levels that, that in a single game that can amount to a smoking gun. I've kind of been looking into this, like nothing about his seemingly, you know, there is a phenomenon of, of velocity going up in October, basically an adrenaline thing. This is like a per, uh, repeatable phenomenon that is now a known thing. When velocities go up, spin rates go up. Um, his slider one, I guess, was elevated to a level that was a little suspicious, but he only threw like six of them. So I don't know that you can really draw much from that. Um, they're certainly getting absolutely shut down. The spin rates are observed up. His ears are clearly something, they're, whatever, they're just sweaty, whatever. They, they were a little wide, so I don't know, but they're glistening. Everybody's talking about it on Twitter. You're seeing people remark about it. It's not like nobody was noticing this. So he goes out there, check the guy, and and a, and a one grown man has to go up to another grown man and feel his ears, which is a very strange thing for both everybody involved to have to watch happen, to be a part of. Like I'm going to have to touch your ears. I don't know. I don't know. No, you're not. I guess we're all used to it now. We go to the airport and they feel our balls and they reach into our pants, and so we should be used to anything. But that's still weird. One grown man. Gently, gently rubbing another man's ears to look for sticky stuff. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Um, definitely seems clear that he was probably not doing anything. And, you know, when all those rules went into effect where they started enforcing, I did. Some, I looked this up. Joe Musgrove, one of the guys whose numbers changed the least. Um, so seems pretty clear he was not one of the fellows who really partook in the stickiness um, so I don't know. I don't know what to do with that one. I, you know, was it embarrassing? Probably a little bit. Did Buck need to do that? Probably not. Didn't accomplish anything. Didn't feel nice when it was over. 
Um, and, you know, it was definitely a lousy way to end what was otherwise a great season. You know, I get that was not how you wanted. You didn't, you don't want to end your 101 win season desperately feeling a man's ears, you know, in defeat, in ignominious defeat, uh, in a one, well, you know, mustering one hit, um, so I, I get it, but I think it has been the the reaction by some has been equally embarrassing to me that to the, than what took place on the field. And let's also be real: the future for the Mets is bright. <laughs> it's never been as bright. You think coming off this, old Uncle Stevie isn't going to go out there and make some major changes next year? To, to, to put them over the top. So they have a lot of cho- decisions to make. They're going to have to figure out if they want to re-sign Jacob deGrom, you know, the injury history, how much money you're going to have to, what's, what, what kind of offers are going to be out there for him. You know, we can, we can talk about that at a later day. Like, those are all big decisions. Like, maybe they want to play for Aaron Judge. Maybe they want to give him half a billion dollars and bring him on the other side of town and poke the Yankees in the eye and all the rest. I don't know, but I know they're going to do something. You know, this isn't the same old Mets. Like, they're not going to be in the bargain bin next year, uh, you know, making weird moves and not doing things you want. They're going to try to be really, really good. They're going to try to be really, really, really good the year after that. They're going to spend a lot of money. Like, this is what everybody's been looking forward to. This was year two of this new regime. And they won 101 games, and it was a very disappointing end in the postseason. But... What what is looming, what is up ahead, is very bright, and this is why you make the deal with the devil, and just accept that your owner might have committed many felonious activities that he was not punished that severely for, um, and good for him. That's that's nice. It's a nice way to go through life. Um, but at least he's you know. Um, you know, one thing I will say, just getting ahead of myself in the DeGrom discussion, is I do hate the way fans these days, like, it's not your money. Like, they, they, they let these guys off the hook too easily. Like, yeah, I want DeGrom back. He's been one of the greatest pitchers ever. He's super fun to watch. I love having him on the Mets. He's only played for the Mets. Give him a ton of money. And if he gets hurt, tough. Pay more money to somebody else. This guy's worth billions and billions of dollars, most of which he got through possibly illegal activity. I mean... I don't want to slander the man and get sued, though no one's listening to this, so I'm probably not too risk. But, you know, paid one of the largest fines in the history of Wall Street, should probably be in jail, had enough money to avoid it. Now, this is payback, okay? You put as much money, these teams are public trusts, essentially, all right? I know they're privately owned. You're one of the people who own them are society's biggest absolute winners. When they buy these things, they should think of it as public service and do whatever it takes to win. So Steve, pay DeGrom, pay somebody else, anybody gets hurt, and now you're wasting money on a guy who's not good anymore, pay a new guy even more, keep it going, I don't care, pay, use your money to make my team good, that's what you're here for, that is what you have signed up for, you have, you are now in a public service business, all right, I don't care how much money you make, you have more money than you ever deserve or need or could want, yes, so I'm not letting the pressure off, I'm not worried about 
spending too much on this guy or that guy. If you if if that you spend overspend on somebody, then spend on somebody else. All right, that's your freaking job. Okay, you're not going to jail. We decided that you had too much money, and you know, so that this is your punishment. You have to own the Mets and spend most of your money trying to build a World Series team. All right, no letting you off the hook. No worrying about your pocketbooks or you're overspending on a player. You're spend money on the players that I want. I want Jacob DeGrom on this team. So give him whatever. If he breaks out his elbow, tough. Get another pitcher. Spend even more on him. You got $10 billion, okay? You're lucky we don't show up at your house with pitchforks. The least you can do is get me a left-hander who can get people out in the postseason, okay? So I don't want to hear any of that. I hate that we all have turned into little, like, I don't know. Everybody on Twitter is like, uh, you know, they love the Rays and the way, you know, it's everybody with efficiency and pound pennies and making sure you don't overspend. Who cares? <laughs> Spend. Spend again. You're all billionaires. The athletes should be richer than the people owning the team. The athletes are the truly unique talents. These other idiots are lucky assholes. Athletes should make, they should make more than anybody. LeBron James is a singular human being. There's a bunch of fucking Steve Cohens out there, I'll tell you that. Okay? Jacob DeGrom is one of one. One guy who can throw the pitch, who can pitch like he can. In the history of freaking earth. There's a lot of dickheads who can insider trade. And maybe that's not fair. That's probably not true. He's probably so effective at it. I know that's probably not totally fair. But I'll tell you what, he's he's making more than his than he's special. There's a lot of guys you could slop in there. Okay. Patrick Mahomes is one of one. These athletes are very unique. They should make more. I don't care. Keep spending. Spend your stupid money. Make me happy. Do something good for society. For a change. So I and I think he will. Look, I think he gets it. He wants to have a good team. He's not gonna be pension pension pennies. And they'll be good. So cheer up, Mets fan. Enough of the disgrace and the embarrassment. Okay, did it feel good watching Buck trot out there? No. No, it didn't. Did I enjoy it? No. No, I did not. But it's good. Things are turning around. Okay. And speaking of turning around, let's get to the Knicks. Start off preseason. Much like they did last year, it's fair to point out, looking very, very impressive in the early going. Last year, same thing happened. We all thought, oh my God, look at this, Kemba, it's going to work, Fournier, oh man, everything's great, and it was, it was not so great. This year, you know, Obi Toppin putting on a dunk contest, um, basically in the second game of the preseason, you know, Brandel looks good, I'm buying the RJ hype, I'm buying it. I think he takes a step forward. I think he's an all-star this year. I think it makes a big difference. I, I you know, I was sort of like, ah, on the Jalen Brunson signing, why'd they do that? Two preseason games. I'm all in. <laughs> all in on it. Love it. I think he's going to be good. I think he makes a big difference. So I'm excited for the Knicks. I think Hartenstein's looked really good. I think Mitchell look, Robinson looks really good. Um, Evan Fournier, everybody's whining. Oh, you know, Tibbs. Has the audacity to say he's going to start. He's at the upper hand to start this year. and People freak out. And then Quentin Grimes is a walking boot. Well, maybe that's why he's got the upper hand to start. And by the way, he set the team record last year for three-pointers. He's a good player. He's perfectly fine. It's not a disaster, okay? 
So everybody's looked good except for Cam Reddish, who stinks. Um, I'm, I'm ready to say that. And, you know, talented kid. I'm not, nothing against him. I just don't understand. I'm still, I can't deal with all the talk about the guy and his playing time. So Zach Lowe make a joke about it on Twitter. You're joking about Cam Reddish minutes? What do you care? What? I don't understand. I know this guy was like a lottery pick. He wasn't like the second pick in the draft. People act like this is one of the great prospects, that it's a mystery. He's not playing. First of all, he gets traded. Okay, they have a team. They have a rotation. He doesn't insert him immediately in big minutes. Then he starts to play, and then he gets hurt. So why is it some kind of big mystery why he <laughs> didn't play more? He was injured. He played, was okay, not really very good, and then got hurt. So then he comes back off of that, and he's, what, supposed to get the starting job? So now he plays a little in the preseason, gets an opportunity, looks terrible, and now he's hurt again. So what is the problem? Why should this guy be getting handed Big minutes when they have a very deep team. They have too many players already. I don't get the fixation on this character. I know they gave up a first-round pick. They gave up Kevin Knox, who was a sunk cost and a marginal first-round pick. Okay? They didn't trade anything humongous to get this guy. So that's the last I'm going to say about it. It's not the last I'm going to say about it. I admit I talk about it all the time. I talk about it. I'm going to bring it up another time. (laughs) But it's the last I'm going to say about it today. But all that's to say, I'm very excited about what the Knicks are doing. Um, you know, I'm, I don't know what to want to say. I don't know how I'm trying to. Scott's he'll be on next week and we can talk about this. I'm sure he's not where I'm at with it. I'm not ready to forgive and forget necessarily about Julius Randle and everything that went on. But I am willing to, you know... Give him a chance. You know, here's a guy two years ago orchestrated one of the great Knicks seasons of my life. He had one of the great seasons in team history. Last year he was very bad. I get all of that. But maybe it's too much, right? Like, do you just throw a guy in the absolute toilet who had the kind of season he did two years ago? And I think there's an opportunity for Julius, like... Less is more, man. You know, like just play hard. Like you need, you should understand. Like RJ is ready. You actually don't have to be this all-world player. You don't have to do everything. You don't need to be scoring twenty-five a game. Like you could. Have, there's there's a universe where Julius Randle averages eighteen points a game this year and has a great year. Like I think there's enough guy. They have a lot of scorers on this team. Like a lot of people who can take the offensive burden off of him. Um, you know, Quentin Grimes can score, Fournier is going to score, Obi can score, Quickly can score, Derek Rose can score, Jalen Brunson can score, you know? So if you're Julius Randle, man, like, you're not sitting there next to Reggie Bullock anymore, you know? Like, Nerlens Noel's not playing a ton. Like, Alfred Payton's not in the starting lineup. There's a lot of guys on this team that can score the ball. You, like, just play hard, play defense. That's all anybody ever wanted you to do. That's all they want you to do. Like, there's a huge opportunity for you to come back um, and have a great year. Um, the Obi of it all. Like, how do they find Obi more minutes? Um, you know, Obi looks awesome. Like, just no doubt about it. Bring, picking up right where he left off last year, and he left off amazing. Um, you know, he looked awesome. 
Like, how do they find any more minutes? I don't know. I, you know, look, Tom Thibodeau, I think, is a great basketball coach. That's my personal point of view. I think he's very good at coaching basketball. That does not mean I don't have any quibbles with him, all right? The hockey substitutions drives me a little nuts. Um, his his unwillingness to, to mix guys together, to try out new lineup combinations, especially with a roster this deep, with a lot of young guys who could who could use playing in different, you know, maybe there's different combinations that could unlock things. So I hear that complaint. I get it. I feel it. I understand it. It just seems to me there's obviously something to his philosophy of guys knowing their role, guys getting used to playing together, guys understanding when they're going to come in the game, that there is benefits to that, that there's not, there's not a coincidence that the defense is really good under him. Um, the Knicks, that all these players seem to be steadily improving, that the Knicks have this culture in place where guys are super hardworking and everybody is all bought in. Like, that doesn't just happen either. We've seen so many dog shit coaches come through here and have it be an absolute disaster. This guy has a winning record as the coach of the Knicks, right? That is not something that has proven to be a very easy thing to do over the years. He's doing it. So I think he will find ways to get Obi in the game if he continues playing like this. And Obi, there is a thing. He just is one of those guys. He's super exciting. He's super fun to watch. He's always moving. He creates energy. He brings energy. The the building gets electrified when he's playing well and he's finishing off plays with these spectacular dunks like he's just fun like I want him to play I'm not saying I don't to anybody and I think he's going to play more I think you know I could see a world where he and Randall just share that spot more than in past years and maybe Obi finishes some games like I think that could happen I really do I think he's going to figure out a way to use all of these guys in their roles in a way that's going to be fun. And I think the Knicks are going to be fun and good. I don't know how good they're going to be. I'm not making, you know, I think they're, if I were a betting man, I would take the over on the Knicks, which I think is like 37 or 39. I think they're going to be in the 40s. I don't know how, you know, what seed they're going to get. I'm not making that kind of prediction. I'm telling you they're going to be fun and good and we're going to enjoy watching them. Um, and I think that's going to be the case throughout the year. I think they're always going to be that. I don't think there's going to be those horrifying stretches like we had last year where they really were bad. You know, when you look at last year, really there was one month, I think it was February, where they were just a disaster, just completely cratered. And then every other month they were a pretty good team. Um, I don't think we're going to get that disastrous month. And so I think we're going to just be a pretty good solid team this year. I think they're going to be really fun. I'm really excited for the Knicks. Um, and I think you should be too. Um, so one other th- basketball thing I want, I did want to talk about, and I do want to talk about this with Scott too when he's back. So unfortunately, you might have to might have to hear my takes twice on it, but it'll probably be more fun when it's not just me. But um, the Draymond Green punch, oh my god, I that was so much worse than I was expecting. You know, like you first heard the breaking news and it was like, oh, there was like an incident with Draymond Green and Jordan Poole and you're kind of expecting to see some pushing and some shoving and some name calling. And instead you just see a haymaker, just a haymaker of a, just dropped him with a right hand. And, you know, man... I don't know. I don't know how that team. I mean, 
who's not interested to watch the Warriors play basketball this season? Like, how do you, like, we always just kind of forget, you know, like, this is a workplace, man. It's a workplace. Imagine showing up to the job the day after that, and that guy's not gone. Because this isn't that kind of job where, like, you know, any other job. And I, I, that's fine. Like, this isn't a regular job. You know, they're, it's, they're special people and they have special talents. Like, but, you know, it's just the case that any other workplace in the world, one of your coworkers cold cocks you <laughs> in the middle of a dispute. They don't work there anymore. So you don't have to go see them. Like, this isn't one of those jobs. This is a job. You know, it's amazing, like, think how good, it, you know, and Draymond, obviously, like, I guess a Hall of Fame player, I don't know, I, I, you know, I know he is, I know he's one of the best defensive players of all time, I know the value he brings, but this is a guy who averages, like, eight points a game, and when he's, like, talking shit about, like, Charles Barkley, you want to be, like, pipe down, dude, like, relax, okay, you're not in the Charles Barkley wing of the Hall of Fame, I don't care how many championships you've won, like, it's a different, you different people, be that as it may. It would be amazing to be good enough at your job that you could drop a guy with a right hand in the middle of the office and come back a couple of days later and still have that job. Like, it's a very, that's a very short list of people in occupations where that's the case. Um, and professional sports is one of them. And so you get to, you can do it. Um, now, it might be a little awkward. Um, you know, supposedly, supposedly Jordan Poole said some things that weren't so nice about, you know, Mr. Triple Single and Draymond's contract. And Draymond alluded to the fact that the um, video had no audio and some unfairness to that, which would have me believe that right before that punch, we might have heard Jordan Poole saying some things that maybe um, Draymond took offense to. I would argue again, like maybe the truth hurts a little bit and, you know... I, 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 from what I understand, you know, Draymond Green, this is a guy uh, we all saw uh, publicly say to Kevin Durant, you're a bitch and you know you're a bitch and didn't take a punch to the face for that, which, you know, he could have and maybe should have. I don't know. Maybe that some people probably have that point of view. But, you know, if Kevin Durant can take that, like, I don't know what Jordan Poole could say to you. There's nothing he could say to you that would justify that punch. Like, you, you, can't, you can't take a swing at a guy. Especially one who really, it's not like he drew up on him. He was not looking, you know? It was, it was something of a sucker punch, I would say. I mean, Jordan Poole shoved him slightly. He's not then looking, expecting that kind of retaliation. He's not even looking at him. He's not squared up like, let's go. He's not expecting that punch. And he gets absolutely dropped with a right hand. Um, and so then the other part of it is like the Warriors, you know, they're doing an investigation. How did the video leak? Like, don't, who, don't even go there. Who leaked the video? A hero leaked the video. You know, somebody wasn't going to let you guys just be like, oh, don't worry about it and drop a fine. Like the NBA, are they really not going to suspend this guy? Like, how is it that if you, so you could, if you punch an opponent in the middle of a game, you're suspended. But if you drop a teammate with, a, with an overhand right in practice, nothing happens. How is that? How is that okay? Like, and the Warriors, clearly, they did not want this to get out. They did not want anyone to know how bad it was. They did not intend 
to offer any suspension. And it's like, oh, it's our team business. No. The NBA, there's now a video of it that everybody has seen. The NBA is going to feel an ob- should feel an obligation to suspend somebody for doing that. That is crossing a clear line. Like, again, this is a workplace. A man took a dangerous, dangerous punch to the jaw. There needs to be repercussions for that, for the love of God. That's not something that just gets you just get to do and then come back a couple days later. Like, yes, he should miss some games, for goodness sakes. Like, that would be insane to me if he doesn't miss games. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I do hope, I, I am really looking forward to talking to Scott about it because it's always fun to talk about people getting punched in the face with Scott. <laughs> um, that's a thing the two of us happen to enjoy. Um, and that was a good one. I wasn't expecting it. You know, that video was very, very surprising. Um, the other, you know, big kind of basketball news is we all got our first looks at uh, the Frenchman, Victor Wembanyama, And he's looks quite insane. Um, quite spectacular. Came over to play some games in the United States. With uh, Scoot Henderson, another big prospect who also looked incredible, I should add. But Victor Wimbanyana looks kind of like not possible. Like, you can't even really comprehend what you're looking at when you watch this guy play. At 7-4, with those kinds of skills, the way he shoots the ball, and this is an 18-year-old. This guy, like, is clearly going to get stronger. He's going to get bigger. Once he's in the NBA, all he's doing is playing basketball. He's going to get very strong. Like, it's not... This is like Giannis crossed with Kevin Durant, but with better handle, and he's the height of Yao Ming. Like, it's not... I don't... really don't know what to even... Like, you every time... Somebody would watch that guy play, just looking at him like, what the fuck am I looking at in this guy? Like, what is even on my screen right now? Like, some of the shots he makes. Just, like, fadeaway three-pointers. Craziest handle you've ever seen in your life. Like, just nothing I've ever seen before in my life. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know what to make of Victor Wembanyana. Um, if there ever was a year to tank, you know, and of course, naturally, the Knicks are not tanking or not in any position to tank. Um, but you know, this goes for the Knicks and any team, any team that's going to be at the edge of that play in, they're going to all have a lot of decisions to make about, do we give ourselves a couple extra lottery balls? Cause like, this is like, I've never seen anything like the guy. Like this is when LeBron was in the draft. This is like Kareem's in the draft. Like it's a very rare event. It's even more than Zion. Like this guy is, I don't, I, I literally, it's like. It, it, it's like he feels like watching a pitcher throw like 125 miles an hour or something like or a quarterback who comes along who is you know who can throw it like the length of the stadium or something you know like it, it, it it's you can't totally comprehend what you're even looking at when you watch him play basketball 
Um, and it's going to be a thing people are talking about all year. There's going to be a bunch of teams jockeying for those top spots. Um, you know, for the NBA, it's a bit of a nightmare because they've obviously been trying to, you know, tamper down on tanking and made all sorts of changes to the lottery to discourage tanking. Um, and now you have a player come along um, who's going to make people want to do it, which doesn't mean, you know, it's kind of funny when you think about the, the greatest lottery luck ever is the the Cavs probably getting LeBron and they only won the one championship and barely <laughs> had to come back from three, one down to a team that was really better than them to do it. And, you know, that's kind of amazing when you think about it. Like, it's, it's like underrated how little that franchise accomplished when getting the luck of drafting LeBron James, who made the finals, whatever it was, like nine years in a row, and somehow you guys only get one championship out of that. Um, you know, it does go to show you how hard it actually is, even when you draft the all, you know, all century player, once in a generation guys. Now, there's just the NBA is hard. It's very hard to win, and and it's the hardest of all of them, I think, um, to win it all. And so, you know, it's no guarantee, but you're definitely going to see teams. I don't know what you're going to see. Oklahoma City is probably going to just be, I don't know, injuring players on purpose, giving guys, locking them out of the locker room, giving them the wrong dates. (laughs) I don't know. Like, There's going to be people doing some wild stuff to get their hands on uh, Mr. Wenbanyana because um, I've never seen anything like the guy. Um, so let's see. we got about a few minutes left, um, and I have nothing to discuss. <laughs> um, oh, I know what else I wanted to talk about. Um, I want to discuss why NFL coaches, it's very hard to evaluate them um, because, or really what I wanted to talk about is more, I hear, I've spent 50 minutes giving takes and I just want to say that I really know nothing and none of us know anything and I'm noticing it more and more that nobody knows anything and my biggest one of evidence of this is I had to take a little while ago. Why does everybody think Mike McCarthy is such an idiot? And I'm not like I'm not going out on a big limb defending. I don't want to be like the Mike McCarthy stand guy, but look at the job he's doing. Four and one. Everybody acts like this guy's the biggest moron they've ever seen in their lives. Um, gets no respect, you know. And then there was like Dan Campbell. We watched Hard Knocks. Everybody's loving him. Look at this guy. He's awesome. They're one and four. He got blanked by Bill Belichick and his third string quarterback. You know, these narratives come around. Like, we all think one thing. There's so much groupthink these days. Like, I just would caution everybody to just find some humility. And I'll do it too. I don't, I've just said a lot of things I think, but I don't know what I'm talking about. And most of us don't. And we should always remind ourselves of that. Um, so some people who maybe don't get enough respect, um, I think it's interesting the way these things develop where people, we like a guy and then we turn on him. Um, Russell Wilson's experiencing this. Like everybody hates him all of a sudden. When did everybody hate Russell Wilson? Um, 
And now it's like, I know he was always kind of a corny dude, but it's like he stinks. Like he was good. He was very good. He was always really, really good. He probably will be really good again. I don't know what's going on there exactly. But it's like now, like two years ago, everybody was was whining that the guy had never got an MVP vote, which seemed crazy to me because he never deserved an MVP vote. He never was the MVP. He was always very good. But it was like, how has Russell Wilson never got an MVP vote? Because he was never the MVP. Two years later, it's like everybody hates the guy. Everybody thinks he sucks. And everybody, nobody thought he was ever any good. So I don't know what I'm trying to say. Other than there's just this group think that waffles back and forth. Um, and I think we all just, if everybody could just like, take it down a notch on on the strength of your opinions um we'd all be ready for it so anyway that's it for today uh scott will be back next week um we'll have a regular show it should be a very excited one hopefully we can talk about why he's gone and um that'll be thrilling and uh look forward to it all right thanks everybody